born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. I want to talk to you about an issue that I get criticized for an awful lot. And the question always comes back to me is when I tell people that you're saved by grace, not of your works, then if you're saved by grace, it has absolutely nothing to do with how you live. And that is so offensive to so many people. Because then I am guilty of teaching easy believism. When God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, it must be something that would be easy for them to believe, easy for them to trust, if we tell them the truth. But it's very difficult when you make salvation hard. And so I have not made it a goal of my life to try to make it as hard as I can on people. I want people to go to heaven. Jesus did all the work. All he wanted us to do is accept the work that he did for us. But people cannot believe that there's nothing for you to do. You got to do something. They got to add something to it. And so there's always this element of works entering into the message because you know it can't be that simple. That's too easy. So the question always comes down is, doesn't Yankee understand That there's so many verses in the Bible that talks about serving God. So, evidently, I didn't know those were in there. All I know is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 1 John 5, 13. And all I got is an illustration from my whole ministry of 55 years is that little wallet trick. Well, I want to try to dispel some of those myths today. Because many times people don't listen to the whole sermon. They tune out. Hear only a part and then their mind goes and they never listen to the rest. As though maybe Yankee doesn't understand it. But I want to try to tell you today what I do understand. So I want you to listen. This is a letter that I got just yesterday. And he he has another whole page, but I'm going to only read the back page in one of the paragraphs he wrote. He says... As you said, Jesus is the one and only Savior of the world. To trust in Him is to have eternal life, period. Not works. But if that is all there is to the Christian life, then isn't there something missing? Now, I didn't say that's all there is to the Christian life. I say that's all you have to do to be saved. 
to be born into God's family, to have eternal life, is only believe. That's all you have to do. That's all you can do. You're not saved by your works. There's nothing else to do except me, except what he did for me when he died on the cross and paid for my sins. He made a payment for my sins. All God wanted me to do is believe he did it for me. So when I accept that gift of eternal life, I now have eternal life. And if I have eternal life, we often tell people, he'll never cast you out. But what do you mean when you say he'll never cast you out? It means how you live has nothing to do with it. When we say he will never lose you, what we mean is there's nothing you can do in however you live that will cause him to take it away from you. When he says that you are in the Father's hand and no man can pluck you out of his hand, it means regardless of what happens after you're saved, nothing can change that. Either that is true or it's all a lie. You're either saved forever and it has nothing to do with how you live or it has everything to do with how you live. Then it cannot be by faith alone and grace alone. So they want to add works to the message. So then you don't know for sure if you're going to make it because now you've got to be required to live a certain way for the rest of your life until the day you die. And then you'll know whether or not you made it. If you want to wait till then, go ahead. I've already known for 59 years I have eternal life. This is what else he said. The Christian life after salvation, huge point, after means sanctification, should be looking looking different, right The Holy Spirit should be working in your life to make you more Christ-like. If not, then there is great need to question your belief in Christ. Wouldn't this be the area of believing that Jesus is your Lord, following Him as your guide and ruler of your life? You lump salvation and sanctification together at the moment of trusting in Jesus and forget the Holy Spirit. Of course, Jesus is Lord, but He is not Lord of the Christian's life personally too. Question. Then he says this, thank you for preaching the gospel all these years. You are an inspiration to many, I'm sure. But don't you think this teaching could lead people down a slippery slope of easy believism? People who are not only now going to look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 without the context of the whole counsel of God? So anyway, there are people who really know how to express themselves, to articulate their views. And so... There is a a lot of people who do not really understand salvation is truly, really, 100% all grace. Now, I want you to look there in your note. How to truly understand salvation by grace. It seems like it ought to be the most simplest thing of understanding. It's like asking somebody, would you take this bar of candy? If you take this bar of candy, you'll have a bar of candy. So if I take it, now what have I got? I got a bar of candy. Yay! But now, that doesn't always explain how easy it is, because that was too easy. you got to make it hard. Here, you want this bar of candy? I can't have it. You want it? I can't have it. That's the only way you can make it hard, is by promising and taking it away. Promising and taking it away. Look at the statement. Is this a true statement? You can trust Christ as your Savior, and then you can live as you please and still go to heaven when you die. Now, is that a true statement or is that a false statement? Now, if it's true, that means this. If it's false, that means something else. If it's false, it means that salvation isn't free. If it's false, the only scriptural answer can only be yes. 
Because if I cannot trust Christ as my Savior and then live as I please, then this is not free. Then it's not free. Because I've got to do... Well, if you're really saved, you'll want to do all these good things. And if you don't do them, that's a sign you really weren't saved. What's the difference? Now you've got to have works to prove you're saved. And people will put more confidence in their works that they're saved than what Jesus said that they're saved. This is priority, and it's only this. Your life, if you want to look at it to try to prove you're saved, can only prove that you're not. Your life cannot prove you're saved. It can only prove that you're not saved, if it has any proof or evidence at all. Because, you see, if you have to live above sin by turning from your sin, ceasing to sin, then your sins condemn you, and that means you're not really saved. That's why it is a false teaching, and I take a strong stand against it. Look at the first statement. No can only mean that Christ was necessary, but not enough. No would mean that you are not really saved by grace, but by works. You see, you're either saved, and you can live as you please, or you can't. Now, if you can't, then that means that you've got to live a certain way in order to make it. Now, does that mean salvation is free? If you have to earn it, keep it by how you live, it's not a gift. But what is so bad about telling somebody you can trust Christ as your Savior and live like you please? Because that means you are giving people a license to sin. Now, I'm not the one who gives anybody permission to sin. And God doesn't give people permission to sin. Doesn't do it. Because If he gave you permission, then it would be all right. And God never gives us permission to. So how do you explain it? Well, there is an explanation. Look at the next statement. If it is not true, you must admit that you cannot have any true confidence that you're going to heaven. If you believe in any way, shape, or form, you have to live a certain way to go to heaven after you're saved. You really don't know if you're going to make it. Think about it. Because what if you don't perform? And who's the one that decides whether or not you're living up to this standard? Whatever that standard may be. And you don't even know what it is. It's either got to be perfect or you lost it or never had it. You see, there can't be a middle ground. You either can live like you please or not at all. There is no middle ground. There's no in-between. Because then you've got to get into, well, how much sin can I commit and still keep it? How long can I do it and still keep it? Or did I lose it? When I did it, my first sin. See, sooner or later, a person who say, okay, I trust Christ as my Savior right now. Without understanding, the very next sin they commit will cause them questions and doubt. What did that sin just do to me? Did it mean that I wasn't saved? Or did it mean that I just lost my salvation? Or does it mean I'm still saved? It can't be any other answer. Look at the next statement. This is in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. We say it every Sunday morning. We say this verse. I am not ashamed of the what? The gospel of Christ. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth and lives it. They didn't say that? See how easy it was to slip that right in there? That's what preachers are doing. They're slipping things in there. It's not there. Either he saves me by believing, or it doesn't save me at all. Look at the next statement. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 5, 
says, To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the truth of this good news, is that God will save me, and I can live as I please, and still go to heaven when I die. If that is not true, then there is no good news. You say, well, are you trying people to just to live like they please? Yeah, but you need to understand. Isn't it possible for you to have a child and that child grow up and lives however it pleases? That means it's not your child. When do you try to educate the child? Before it's born or after it's born? Well, la-di-da. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you're born into God's family. Now, as a child that's born into God's family, that's going to heaven when you, now you educate them. That's why there's teaching in the Word of God. That's why the Holy Spirit indwells us to teach and educate us. But nothing is to help you get born into God's family. And if you don't grow and don't mature, it's still God's child. Now get the next statement. Here in Galatians in chapter 2, he says, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Peter, if you are really saved by grace, you cannot eat with the Gentiles. This is the same as today when someone says, you can't be saved and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Because Peter was doing something by the way he was living. He was compromising the truth of the gospel because the legalistic Judaizer said, you can't live like that. You're eating with Gentiles, and you're a Jew. Putting requirements upon them, that God never put. He was doing something wrong in their eyes. But you and I know that when you trust Christ as Savior, you have eternal life. And yes, you can do a lot of things wrong, even in people's eyes. And they say, well, if you're really saved, you wouldn't do that. You don't understand the two natures. You have an old sinful nature. God never saved that one. He gave you a new birth. The new birth has no sinful nature. Look at the next statement. Why is this position so difficult for people to accept? Because it is absolutely offensive to the human nature of man. It totally destroys all confidence in the flesh. It means I don't have to put any confidence in how I live to make what God said true. It's true because God said it's true. So when I was 18 years old, I heard for the first time in my life, God loved me, paid for my sins, and so I trusted Christ as my Savior. So my trusting Christ as my Savior is the only reason I'm going to heaven. There is nothing else to be added to it. If I serve Him, God will bless my life here and reward me when I get to heaven. But it has nothing to do with me being saved. And if I don't serve Him, then God's going to chasten and discipline me. And maybe take me home before my time. But I'm still His child. So I decided as a child of God, if I want to live as I please. I decided I want to please the Lord. So I started reading God's Word because that pleased God. I started witnessing because that pleased God. I started supporting God's Word because that pleases God. I tried to live a good, clean, godly life because that pleases God. But see, I'm not doing that to go to heaven. And if I don't do it, I'm still going to heaven. But if you say you must do those things, then it becomes a requirement. And if you don't perform, then that's a sign you weren't really saved. That's heresy. And there's a lot of preachers that are preaching that. And that's why you have people questioning their salvation. They're not questioning their salvation because of what Jesus said. They're questioning their salvation because of how they're living. They're looking at their life. 
Because they've been told, well, if you're a Christian, you ought not live like that. Maybe you ought not, but they are. As though you must perform. And if you don't perform, then you're not saved. And so people automatically, they have questions. And so they become poor testimonies for the Lord. And I can't live it. I just give up. And buddy, it's hard to go down the slide and stop halfway. They usually go to the bottom. But now look at the next statement. The following verses that we're going to look at. Are these salvation verses? Are these verses proof text for salvation? The following verses show us how we should live, not how we must live. There is a great difference. I want you to take very quickly and look in the book of uh, Romans in chapter 6. The book of Romans in chapter 6. I'll have people saying, Yankee, don't you know that once you're saved, you're not supposed to go out here and do all those things. Maybe you're not supposed to, but what if you did? You're not supposed to lie, but okay, what if you did? You're not supposed to hate, but okay, but what if you did? Every child of God will commit those sins and be filled with envy and jealousy and backbiting and gossip. And you know you're guilty, don't you? Well, see, that's a sign you're not really saved. So what would that cause you to do? Doubt your salvation. Now I really got to mean business. And I'm going to try harder the next time. That's not the teaching in the Bible. Now here in the book of Romans in chapter 6, what shall we say then? If salvation is free and it is by grace, it is not by your works, how then shall we live? Look what he says. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's the next two words in verse 2? God forbid. No. God forbids people that are his children to continue in sin. God forbids that. But just because God forbids it doesn't mean they won't do it. God forbids us to do a lot of things we're not supposed to do, but we do it anyway. Have you ever forbid your children to do something and they did it anyway? That's a sign they weren't your child. They belonged to your wife, and you knew that. Because if they were yours, they would obey. Some of y'all coming right along. You're doing, you're doing fine. But now look at verse 2. God forbid. Now, the next word, I want you to circle it. How? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How? How do we live for the Lord? So it means that there is an educational process that has to take place so you to understand how do I serve God? How do I live a life without continuing in sinful rebellion to the Lord? It's not that you can't do it. It's that God is not willing that you do it. But can a child of God be a disobedient child? Yes. Now, there's a few other verses that are mentioned here. Look in verse 4. In verse 4 where he says, Wherefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, you see that next word? Should walk in newness of life. Is it God's will that you and I walk in newness of life? Doesn't God want us as his children to live like his children? And if we don't, are we still his children? Yes. Because see, God may want you to do something, but you still can make choices. Everywhere you see the word should, it means there's a choice, an option. There's an option. Look there in chapter 7, in verse 6. Chapter 7 and... Verse 6. 
It's right there in your Bible. You can look there on your notes. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. In other words, it's not the external, it's the internal part of man. This is why when Jesus is talking about in the book of Matthew, he says, it is written, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you're lust in your heart, you're already guilty. So he's trying to tell us uh, the key is not the external, the things that you stop doing, is that can he have control over you on the inside of you? Can God control your heart? Can God control your mind? Because you see, actions are a byproduct of the way that you think. Now, look in your notes here for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6. Look what he says. In your notes, now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things. Why would he have to tell them this? Because is it possible that God's children can lust after evil things? Can you? Every man in here knows when he sees a pretty woman, whether in the flesh or on TV, how your mind can work. You say, oh, not me. I'm so holy. <laughs> I was told this. It was in the, the newspapers just recently. It's a picture of a man who had a, a big old black eye. Anybody seen this? Great big old black eye. His face was all beat up. And he didn't know what happened to him. But he had gone to a bar and he had drank till he got so drunk. He come into the house at about 1.30 at night. He stumbled over a chair, fell, and he hit his head against the door. And then he went to bed, as far as he can remember. When he woke up, he realized that he had a great big old black eye, all beat up, and there was a note. Dear husband, I love you. You're wonderful. I've got your breakfast on the table waiting for you. You're the greatest. I had to leave for work, but I let you rest a little longer. He got out of bed, looked at himself in the mirror, couldn't believe it. Walked in there, and his boy was sitting there at the table, and he was eating. He looked, and there was his food sitting there. And he thought, what in the world happened last night? So he looked at his son, and he says, what, what, what happened last night? He said, well, Dad, you, you came in drunk about 1.30 in the morning. And you stumbled over the end table and you hit the door and you got your face all messed up. And mama pulled you into the, the bedroom and tried to get you ready for bed. And she started taking off your shoes and then she started taking off your pants. And you hollered and hollered and screamed and fought. Says, no, no, you can't take off my pants. I'm married. I'm married. And that changed everything. The woman was so proud of her husband. <laughs> it's perspective. It's how you see things. And sometimes people can misinterpret things that are found in the Word of God. How we should live is very important. You see, how we should behave ourselves. But if God said, you must do this, and if you don't, you're going to lose your salvation. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever find that. My wife always knows where I'm at. She's never had to worry about where's Yankee at tonight. Is he out boozing with the boys? I've never gone boozing with the boys. I've never been on drugs. I've never had a drink of strong drink. 
I've never had a cigarette in my mouth. I've never sworn a cuss word. I never did those things. So when here's all these people writing all these things. Yankee doesn't know anything about God they live in. And their life won't match mine. I'm not saying that to be proud. I'm saying that because it's the truth. Though if I didn't do these things, I will still be just as 100% genuinely saved as I am if I serve God with all my heart. And you can make the same choice, same decision. Look at this. In verse 10 and verse 6, Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Because you can. You can still lust after evil things. Well, they'll tell you, well, if you're really saved, you won't do that. You're not going to want to go out here and do all those bad things. You'd be surprised how some of you might in your own mind believe some of this stuff. Look at the next verse. In verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would that ye should, would not have fellowship with the devil. So that means you have a choice. You can have fellowship with the devil. But God says, how can you do this? Shall you continue in sin? How do I perform? How do I live? The well, that's why you come to church. That's why you come to Sunday school. That's why you study the Bible. So you learn how to live. But if you don't, salvation is not contingent upon you growing in the Lord. Though it is the will of God that all of his children grow and become strong. Down at the bottom. The last verse. In chapter 12 and verse 25, that there should be no divisions in the body and that the members should have the same care one for another. Do you believe that God's children all love each other the way you're supposed to? You don't even love your household the way you should. There's time when you would like to see your kids executed (laughs) by the husband. You just wait till your daddy gets home because you don't want him to hate you. You want him to hate daddy. And then finally, Daddy comes home. Hello, kids. Ah, they run for their life. <laughs> Look at the next page. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world, which is Satan, hath blinded the mind of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan wants to keep the light from shining, and it's possible. Can the devil hinder God's children from giving the gospel? It says that. Look at the next verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And that he died for all, that they which live, those who believe, trust Christ as Savior, get this, should not henceforth from now on live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Should is a choice. You can or you may not. If it was automatic, why would you even have to put it in the Bible? If everything was automatic that you're going to serve God, if you're really saved, you'll serve God. Okay, then why do we have all the stuff in the Bible? It would happen automatic. But it doesn't. Because you have to be taught. And you understand there's a price to pay if I'm rebellious. And there's blessings if I serve Him. So you can make a choice. God wants me to serve Him. And He wants to bless my life. Because he loves me. I've had people write me little notes and say, Yankee, don't you understand that God says that we have to love God? And what you're saying and what you're doing shows that you don't have to love God to go to heaven. And I thought, good night. They finally got it. You don't have to love God to go to heaven. I'm going to heaven because he loved me. 
I serve him because I love him. But love can grow. Are you understanding more about the will of God today than you did 30 years ago? You're supposed to be growing in the Lord. And you should be getting closer to the Lord. Do you that have been here for 10 years that I've been here. Have you ever heard me try to encourage people to live in sin? To be rebellious to the Lord. I don't know of a preacher who wants people to serve God any more than what I do. But I'm not going to lie to you to get you to do it. Telling someone how to go to heaven is the greatest thing we can do in this life. To prepare you, Pastor Yankee Arnold is offering you his book, Gospel Driven Man, absolutely free. Gospel Driven Man explains in simple steps how to successfully share the gospel. To get your free copy of Gospel Driven Man, write to Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Or email Yankee Arnold at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.